Alright, so this morning, or this evening, we will be in um, Numbers 23 and 24. The last time we were together, uh, we talked about and introduced uh, the pagan prophet Balaam from Numbers chapter 22. So we spent most of our time in Numbers chapter 22 and then spent a little bit of time uh, doing kind of a, a biblical overview of the prophet Balaam. He... Um, appears obviously uh, in our chapters that we will consider tonight. Uh, he appears in Numbers chapter 31 where he meets his demise and so we will see that again uh, just a few weeks from now, Lord willing. And then he appears by name in three different places in the New Testament. Uh, in each and every place in the New Testament in which his name appears, uh, he appears uh, in a uh, with a, a very distinctly negative connotation uh, as a false prophet and we saw that in second peter chapter 2 in the short epistle of jude uh, the half-brother of our lord and also in revelation chapter 2 as well so if you'd like to go back and revisit that uh, please see the previous uh, discussion so tonight we are going to take a closer look at the prophecies of Balaam. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, where we are, we are on the east side of the Jordan in the 40th year of the um, wilderness wanderings of the nation Israel. The prior generation of Israelites uh, that God saved out of Egyptian slavery uh, has now fallen in the wilderness uh, because of their complaining and grumbling against Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. Um, and so we are in the 40th year now, and this new generation of Israelites has arrived. And uh, we're mere uh, months, if not weeks, away uh, from the beginning of the conquest of Canaan. So um, here in this latter portion of the book of Numbers, all the way through the end of the book of Deuteronomy, we are literally on the east side of the Jordan River, awaiting the Israelites moving west across the Jordan to um, uh, to take over, as, 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 as it were, the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised uh, to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 15. So, because the Israelites are encamped on the east side of the Jordan River, uh, Balak, whom we met uh, in chapter 22, uh, who is uh, a king of um, Moab, was in great fear. Verse 3 of chapter 22 is in great fear because of the Israelite people, for they were numerous. And all of Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. And so, uh, Balak apparently um, doesn't think that he can defeat the Israelites. Uh, there's good reason for that because we saw in Numbers chapter 21 that the Israelites had already defeated Sihon and Og, two kings there. And so Balak is afraid. All of his people are afraid. And so he summons this pagan prophet from the east named Balaam and begs him to come and to prophesy against the Israelites. And so uh, in Numbers chapter 22, we saw Balaam actually arriving uh, to meet Balak. Of course, uh, we also saw there the talking donkey upon which Balaam was riding. 
So Balak now has taken Balaam up to the high places, verse 41 of Numbers 22. And that is where we pick up in Numbers chapter 23 as Balak begs Balaam to curse the Israelites that he sees as he looks down from the high places. Numbers chapter 23, beginning in verse 1. Then Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars for me here, and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me here. And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand beside your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord Yahweh will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me I will tell you. So he went to a bare hill. Now God met Balaam, and he said to him, I have set up seven altars, and I have offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth, and said, Return to Balak, and you shall speak thus. So he returned to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering, he and all the leaders of Moab, verse 7. And he, Balaam, took up his discourse and said, From Aram, Balak, Balak has brought me, Moab's king from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how can I denounce whom the Lord Yahweh has not denounced? As I see him from the top of the rocks, and I look at him from the hills, behold, a people who dwells apart and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright, and let my end be like his. Verse 11, Then Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, but behold, you have actually blessed them. And he answered and said, Must I not be careful to speak what the Lord Yahweh puts in my mouth? So let's stop here. So this is the first of four words that Balaam receives from Yahweh here in Numbers chapters 23 and 24. This, of course, is the first of three blessings. We see in verse 1 that Balak and Balaam are making a pagan offering to the one true God of the universe, the one true God of Israel, making a pagan offering by offering seven bulls and seven rams, thinking, of course, especially in Balak's mind, that this will curry him favor with the Lord God. So, uh, and it's interesting, and I mentioned this last time, so I won't go into to detail, but you can see here in verse 3 that Balaam says to Balak, stand beside your offering and I will go, perhaps the Lord Yahweh. So here we see Balaam again referring to uh, God as Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, by the name uh, by which he revealed himself in Exodus chapter 3. You can see very clearly in verse 5, as Balaam goes away, the Lord Yahweh put a word in Balaam's mouth. And so Balaam will prophesy, but he will not prophesy a curse as Balak desires, but he will prophesy a blessing. And we see that blessing uh, beginning in verse 7. And so he says, from Aram, Balak has brought me Moab's king from the mountains of the east. And of course, this is how Balak requests him, come curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel. And then in verse 8, Balaam says this, how shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how can I denounce whom the Lord has not 
denounced. And so this harkens us back to Genesis chapter 12 and the call of Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees and subsequently out of Haran. If you go back with me, because we are going to visit Genesis several times this evening, so you may want to have your finger in Genesis. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. As God is calling Abram and is beginning to reverse all of the curses that have come in Genesis chapters 3 through 11. Genesis chapter 12 beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord Yahweh said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives, from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so we have this clear tying of the blessing of God, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, on Israel, Abram's descendants. And we see that here in verse 8. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how can I denounce the lo- whom the Lord has not denounced? And then we see in verse 9, this is Balaam standing up on the high places, looking down at the camps of Israel. As I see him from the top of the rocks, and I look at him from the hills, behold, a people who dwells apart, and shall not be reckoned among the nations. This also echoes back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, where God says to Abram, I will make you a great nation. And so we see the sanctity work of God, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, in setting the people of Israel apart from all of the other nations on the earth. Israel is sanctified by Yahweh, and they shall not be reckoned among the nations. Verse 9. And of course, this motif will run all the way through the scriptures, even as we go into the New Testament. For example, in the Gospel of John, when he says, For God so loved the world, we all know that when he says he loved the world, who he's talking about there is Jews and Gentiles. And so that is that motif of the Jews being set apart from all the nations of the world here is very clearly seen. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 9. Verse 10, he says, Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? This harkens us back. If you have your finger in Genesis 12, you can go to Genesis chapter 13. Just one chapter over. This is the interaction between Abram and Lot. And so after, in verse 11 of Genesis 13, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw All the valley of the Jordan, verse 10. So Lot chose for himself, verse 11, all the valley of the Jordan. And Lot journeyed eastward, thus they separated from each other. Verse 12, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Verse 14, and the Lord Yahweh said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. Verse 16, And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. And so what we're seeing here is that Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, is pronouncing on this new generation of Israelites, the generation after 
the generation of those whom he redeemed out of Egyptian slavery, he is pronouncing on this new generation of Israelites all of the same blessings through the pagan prophet Balaam that he had pronounced on Abram himself. These people who are camped at the base of these high places okay, are the same people. They are the descendants of Abram, the chosen descendants of Abram, and they will be blessed. And so Balaam sees this, he knows this, he receives this blessing from the Lord, and he says at the end of verse 10, let me die the death of the upright, and let my end be like his, that is, Israel's. And so Balaam here, as he is prophesying, cries out for the blessing of the Lord on himself. Of course, Balak, who has hired Balaam, is not happy And he's frustrated, of course, because Balaam has blessed the very people whom he has hired to curse. Balaam responds, verse 12, Must I not be careful to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? This is, we have seen this motif over and over again. We saw it in verse 5. And then we saw it a couple of different times back in Numbers chapter 22 as well, that Balaam himself must be careful to speak what Yahweh puts in his mouth. Let's pick up in verse 13. Then Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from where you may see them, although you will only see the extreme end of them and will not see all of them and curse them for me from there. So he took him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, that is Balaam, said to Balak, Stand here beside your burnt offering while I myself meet the Lord yonder. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. And he came to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering and the leaders of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord Yahweh spoken? Verse 18, Then he took up his discourse and said, Arise, O Balak, and hear, give ear to me, O son of Zippor. Verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. When he has blessed, then I cannot revoke it. He has not observed misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He is for them like the horns of the wild For there is no omen against Jacob, nor is there any divination against Israel. At the proper time it shall be said to Jacob and to Israel what God has done. Behold, a people rises like a lioness, and as a lion it lifts itself. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Then Balak said to Balaam, Do not curse them at all, nor bless them. But Balaam answered and said to Balak, Did I not tell you whatever the Lord speaks, that I must do? Alright, so this is the second blessing of the three that the Lord puts in the mouth of Balaam. And so, you see in verse 13, Balak takes Balaam to a different hill, and in this particular case, he is trying to obscure, it looks as though, the better part of the tribes of Israel, the better part of the camp, in the hopes that if Balaam only sees a portion of Israel, perhaps he will come back with a curse and, uh, in in a sense, uh, build up the confidence of Balak. 
um, as he only sees a portion of the tribes of Israel. And then the blessing comes beginning in verse 18 and specifically in verse 19. These tremendous um, verses about the attributes of God, the covenant God of Israel and the God of the universe. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? And so um, God, all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, which we just discussed a few moments ago, has blessed Abram and his descendants. And so we should not be surprised that God has not changed his mind. Now here, all the way forward in Numbers chapter 23, he continues to bless Abram's descendants. He has not changed his mind. He will bless Abram. He has said it. He will do it. And he has spoken. So he will make good on those promises. And we see that here in verse 19 of Numbers chapter 23. Look at verse 21. So some interesting thing here. He has not observed, and the New American Standard says, misfortune in Jacob. Um, literally, that word there that is, is in the New American Standard as misfortune um, is most often translated actually as iniquity. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble or um, toil or drudgery in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. So I, I find this to be a very interesting verse. Numbers chapter 23, verse 21. He has not, God has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble or toil in Israel. Now, in light of all of the complaining and all of the grumbling that Israel has done, over the past 40 years, and that would, by the way, include the new generation of Israelites, we, we have to square with this declaration of blessing through the pagan prophet Balaam. Of course, this is a word of the Lord. And, and so I would just say that this is a kind of justification Okay, Not in a purely salvific or soteriological sense. I'm not saying that every single one of these new generation of Israelites is saved in a sense that you and I would understand that. But I would say, just to look here at this verse, the very fact that the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel, is traveling and continuing to bless Israel... There's a sense in which right, we know from other parts of the scriptures that, that God cannot dwell in the midst of sin. right? His face cannot look upon sin. And so he's traveling with this admittedly sinful people. At the same time, he makes a declaration that he sees no iniquity in them. And he doesn't see them troubled or toiling. And, and I just want to encourage you tonight that... This is a, a picture, perhaps you might even refer to it as a type or a shadow of our justification, our positional righteousness before God. I know no one on this call tonight would declare themselves to be perfect or sinless, right? We still, um, as we walk along in these 
fleshly bodies, we still commit sin. And yet, God, because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, walks with us. Our Lord God is with us. And He sees no iniquity in us because we are covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ and His precious blood cleanses us from all sin. And so, I I would look at this, Numbers chapter 3, verse 21, as a type of of our justification as our God travels with us here as we wander through this world as strangers and aliens. So I just want to encourage you with that this evening. Verse 24, as we finish up this second blessing, Behold, a people rises like a lioness, and as a lion it lifts itself. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. So this is a prophecy that has both a near field and a far field fulfillment. The near field fulfillment of this prophecy is that in just a few short years, as it were, um, the Israelites will go west across the Jordan and they will take control of Canaan under the leadership of Joshua and the power and guidance of Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. That is the near-term fulfillment of this, this idea that it will devour prey as God promised Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 15. Of course, this looks forward to a far-field fulfillment as we also conquer our enemies, and we have ultimate victory, and Jesus Christ, in his victorious reign over all things, puts all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be put under his feet is death, and then he will turn over the kingdom to his father. So we see here uh, a, a prophecy of the nation Israel and their conquest of Canaan, which is soon to come. Verse 27. Then Balak said to Balaam, Please come, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will be agreeable with God that you curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, which overlooks the wasteland. And Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars for me here and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me here. And Balak did, just as Balaam had said, and offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Verse 1 of Numbers 24. When Balaam saw that it would please the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek omens, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down, yet having his eyes uncovered. How fair are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens beside the river, like aloes planted by the Lord Yahweh, like cedars beside the waters. Waters shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall be by many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He is for him like the horns of the wild ox. He shall devour the nations who are his adversaries, and shall crush their bones in pieces, and shatter them with his arrows. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares rouse him. Blessed is everyone who blesses you, and cursed is everyone who curses you. 
Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, but behold, you have persisted in blessing them these three times. Therefore flee to your place now. I said I would honor you greatly, but behold, the Lord Yahweh has held you back from honor. And Balaam said to Balak, Did I not tell your messengers whom you had sent to me, saying, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything contrary to the command of the Lord Yahweh, either good or bad, of my own accord. What the Lord speaks, that I will speak. So we're going to pause there for a second. So this is now the third blessing. The third blessing beginning back in verse 27 of Numbers chapter 23. And so this time, instead of only seeing a portion of the tribes of Israel, Balak takes the opposite approach and he takes Balaam to the top of Peor, verse 28, so that he can see the entire camp in the hopes that this would somehow influence Balaam to curse Israel and give him, Balak, a word of blessing as he wants to defeat uh, the Israelites. And so this is sort of uh, reverse psychology from the second time that Balak sends Balaam off. We see here, as we pick up in verse 24, after the pagan offering, that Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. Right, So he's already blessed Israel twice, and so Balaam knows how this third time is going to turn out, regardless of the view that he has from the top of Peor. So it says he did not go as at other times to seek omens, but he set his face toward the wilderness. So I just want you to see here that this is slightly different from the first two times. So if you could refer back to verse 3, Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand beside your burnt offering and I will go. So Balaam sets himself apart from Balak to go to seek the word of the Lord. Verse 3. And then also in verse 15, you can also see that Balaam said to Balak, Stand here beside your burnt offering while I myself meet the Lord yonder. So again, Balaam sets himself apart from Balak and goes into seclusion, as it were, to seek out the word from the Lord. Balaam knows that he's not going to get a different answer if he does the same thing again. So in this particular case, verse 1 of Numbers 24, he does not go away from Balak, but he set, he sets his face toward the wilderness. He looks down at Israel, tribe by tribe. And, and I think what we see here is Balaam, his intentions are not good. Right? And we know that that's the case. We know that because we visited uh, Numbers 31 briefly last time we were together. And so we see here a hint that Balaam has no intention of wanting in his heart to bless the Israelites. And so he's going to try something different to see if he gets a different result. And we see that um, in order to suppress those desires of Balaam, the Spirit of God himself, Genesis chapter 1, The Spirit of God Himself comes and gives Balaam this third prophecy and this third blessing. So let's take a quick trip through this third blessing. Balaam, son of Beor, he declares that his eyes are open. So he has clearly a revelation 
from Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. And again, we see in the Old Testament, so very quick sidetrack, right? This doesn't mean that Balaam is saved in the way that you and I understand. He is not indwelt by the Holy Spirit as a seal and guarantee of his future and eternal inheritance. We see over and over again in the Old Testament that the Spirit of God comes temporarily on people for the purpose of prophecy. And so we see that same thing here happening to the pagan prophet Balaam, who declares that his eyes are opened. Verse 4, he hears the words of God. He sees the vision of the Almighty, and even though he has fallen down, his eyes have been uncovered. And the blessing begins in verse 5. How fair are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. Verse 6. Like valleys, the New American Standard says valleys, um, it could mean palm trees, and I think it's probably palm trees in this context because you have palm trees that stretch out, you have gardens beside the river, you have aloes planted by the Lord, and cedars beside the waters. And so we this harkens all the way back to the Garden of Eden and the, the trees there. We see in here, um, well, we see in here Psalm chapter 1. Who is the blessed man in chapter 1? He, he's like a tree planted by waters. And so we see this, this motif of blessing coming through here as well in verse 6. Verse 7, waters shall flow from his buckets. Waters being, of course, a sign of blessing. And his seed shall be by many waters. And his king shall be higher than Agag. Agag is uh, very interesting here. So um, Agag appears much later uh, in the scripture. And um, it is often assumed, I think, that Agag is actually the name of the king of the Amalekites. But I believe that it's more proper to see Agag here as a title. A title, like Pharaoh, for example, and not as a name. And so Agag here um, uh, represents the Amalekites as the king of the uh, Amalekites. And I would just point that out, that, that this is um, also taking us back if you would very quickly turn with me back to Exodus chapter 17 I want to see I want you to see again the consistency of the blessings that God is pronouncing on Israel all the way back in Exodus chapter 17 after the um, Israelites come out of Egypt we have this episode the first episode of water coming from the rock and then later, in that, um, in Exodus chapter 17, beginning in verse 8, the Amalekites came, or the Amalek came, and fought against Israel and at Rephidim. And so this is the great episode where Moses goes up on top of the hill, and as long as his arms were outstretched, the Israelites were uh, gaining victory in battle over Amalek and the Amalekites. But when Moses' hands were heavy, they began to lose the battle, right? And so... Um, Aaron and her go up to the top of the mountain. They support Moses' hands. And in verse 13 of Exodus 17, Joshua, the leader of the Israelite armies, overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Verse 14, Then the Lord Yahweh said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And so we see here 
in Numbers chapter 24, verse 7, that consistent blessing of Israel over the Amalekites. His king, that is the king of Israel, shall be higher than Agag, the Amalekites, and his kingdom shall be exalted. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about the king when we get to the fourth prophecy. So let's put that on the back burner for now. Beginning in verse 8, Numbers chapter 24, God brings him out of Egypt. He is for him like the horns of the wild ox. He shall devour the nations who are his adversaries. And so we see again this conquest of Canaan motif that is coming through in this blessing. And then again in verse 9, we have the echoes of Genesis chapter 12. Blessed is everyone who blesses you, and cursed is everyone who curses you. Verse 11, something very interesting we see here. Therefore, Balak talking to Balaam, flee to your place. So Balak is not going to pay Balaam now because he did not do what Balaam asked him to do. And we see the name of the Lord Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, on the lips of Balak himself. So this pagan king is now speaking the name of Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. After this third blessing, and after Balak sends Balaam away without payment, Balaam tells him again, verse 12, Did I not tell your messengers whom you had sent to me, saying, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything contrary to the command of the Lord, either good or bad, of my own accord. What the Lord speaks, that I will speak. So he says all that as a question. And of course that goes all the way back to Numbers chapter 22. That is literally what Balaam said to the emissaries sent from Balak. Then this fourth word of the Lord, this fourth word of prophecy comes to Balaam, beginning in verse 14 of Numbers chapter 24. And this is so Interesting, so interesting. Please follow closely. Numbers 24, beginning in verse 14. Balaam is speaking to Balak. And now behold, I am going to my people. Come and I will advise you what this people Israel will do to your people in the days to come. And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down yet having his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Listen. A star shall come forth from Jacob, and a scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab, and tear down all the sons of Sheth. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir, its enemies, also shall be a possession, while Israel performs valiantly. One from Jacob shall have dominion, and shall destroy the remnant from the city. And he looked at Amalek and took up his discourse and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his end shall be destruction. 
And he looked at the Kenite and took up his discourse and said, Your dwelling place is enduring, and your nest is set in the cliff. Nevertheless, Cain shall be consumed. How long shall Asher keep you captive? And he took up his discourse and said, Alas, who can live except God has ordained it? But ships shall come from the coast of Kittim, and they shall afflict Asher and shall afflict Eber. So they also shall come to destruction. Then Balaam arose and departed and returned to his place. And Balak also went his way. All right. This fourth prophecy is the most interesting, I think, of the four. Let's take it in turn um, because there's some incredible stuff here. Verse 14, Balaam basically takes his leave of Balak. Now we know he doesn't go all the way as far as east because we know in Exodus 31 he is with the Midianites and he meets his demise there. But anyway, he takes his leave of Balak, verse 14, but he tells him that I'm going to prophesy about what Israel is going to do to your people. So we see here verses 15 and 16 again. Balaam clearly making a claim that Yahweh has given him this word. We see that at the beginning of verse 17 as well. I see him but not now. I behold him but not near. And then this incredible benediction. And and so just let me point out here that the word oracle is used in the in the verse 15, and we would call this an oracle of wheel, W-E-A-L, an oracle of blessing. That would be counter to the oracle of woe, right? We know what an oracle of woe is. We see that, especially, for example, in places in the New Testament, like uh, Matthew chapter 23, as Jesus pronounces his seven woes on the Jewish religious leadership there. This is an oracle of wheel, W-E-A-L for Israel. An oracle of blessing. And it begins in verse 17. A star shall come forth from Jacob and a scepter shall arise from Israel. So let's stop there. This is taking us back all the way to Genesis chapter 49. If you remember there, Genesis chapter 49, Jacob is pronouncing blessings on his 12 sons. And in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, there is a clear uh, blessing pronounced on his son, his fourth-born son, Judah. And it looks very similar to the scepter shall rise from Israel. And of course, all of us on this call know that that blessing in Genesis 49 and this blessing here in, in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, is a prophecy of Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. And this star which comes forth from Jacob and the scepter rising from Israel, which shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Seth. Now, the sons of Seth here are the, if you remember where Seth comes from, um, Seth is one of the sons of Noah. Noah is in fact a descendant of Seth. And um, so this would be the descendants of Noah, right, who come through 
that line. And so what we're going to see in this blessing, I'm sorry, Noah is a descendant of Seth. Seth is a descendant of Adam and Eve. My apologies. I think I misspoke there. Seth is the is the replacement for Abel after Cain kills Abel. Okay? And because Noah is a descendant of Seth, all of us are descendants of Seth because we have all come from Noah. And so what we see here, my apologies for misspeaking, but what we see here is we see that this reign of this star that's coming forth from Jacob, right? At first, the prophecy says that he's going to crush the forehead of Moab, which is a very small circle. And then it says that he will tear down all the sons of Seth. And so all of a sudden this aperture is opened up to all of the nations on the earth in this verse 17 of Numbers chapter 24. 24. So crushing the head of Moab and all of the nations, all of the descendants of Seth all over the earth. Verse 18, Edom shall be a possession, Seir, which is Edom, its enemies, all shall, shall, shall be a possession, while Israel performs valiantly. One from Jacob shall have dominion, and shall destroy the remnant from the city. So, this, verse 17 and 18 and 19 of Numbers chapter 24, is a prophecy of the Jewish Messiah King. That's what I want you to see. Okay? Prophecy of the Jewish Messiah King. And we will see more details of that as we move down through this prophecy. Verse 20. Balaam looked at Amalek, or Agag, which we saw previously in the third blessing, and took up his discourse and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his end shall be destruction. Right, so this goes back all the way to Genesis chapter 15 again. And he looked at the, I'm sorry, and he looked at the Kenite, which takes us back to Genesis chapter 15. If you go back to Genesis 15, in the, the cutting of the covenant with Abram, where Abram is told that his descendants are going to take the land of Canaan, the Kenites are listed in that list of peoples that will be destroyed by Abram's descendants. So that's from Genesis chapter 15, verse 19. So Balaam looks, verse 21, at the Kenite and took up his discourse and said, Your dwelling place is enduring, and your nest is set in the cliff. Nevertheless, Cain shall be consumed. How long shall Asher keep you Captive, And so we see here again this prophecy of Israel and their conquest over the, the peoples of the land of Canaan. And apparently the Kenites were cliff dwellers living high up. And they did that because they thought that it would keep them safe. Nonetheless, they would be among those who are on the list of nations to be destroyed by Abram's descendants. Verse 23, And he took up his discourse and said, Alas, who can live except God has ordained it? But ships shall come from the coast of Kittim, and they shall afflict Asher, and shall afflict Eber. So they also shall come to destruction. Alright. This is again a widening of the aperture. As God is looking down, He's giving these prophecies of history. Kittim is the west. Kittim is the west. So people, uh, mainly um, 
island and coast dwellers along the Mediterranean. Later in the Bible, for example, in Daniel chapter 11, there are references there to Greece and Italy as coming from Kittim. So what you should have in view here in verse 24 of Numbers chapter 24 is a very early prophecy that is similar to the prophecies in Daniel. The ships that are coming from the west are Rome and Greece, not in that order. They are the kingdoms of Greece and Rome. The kingdoms of Greece and Rome. So for, again, going back through world history, right? you have these great empires. You have the Assyrian Empire, Right, which took the northern kingdom of Israel captive in 722 BC. You have the Babylonian Empire, who took the southern kingdom of Judah into captivity 586 BC. And then you have a succession of empires. You have the Medes. You have the Medo-Persians. You have the Greeks. And then you have the Romans. And that takes us up to the time of the New Testament. And so look at this prophecy again with all of that in view. Verse 23, Balaam says, Who can live except God has ordained it? But ships shall come from the coast of Kittim, the west, that's Greece, and Rome. And who will they afflict? They will afflict Asher and shall afflict Eber. Asher and Eber are the east. Those are the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Hebrews. Eber is the Hebrews. In fact, if you go to the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, it is very clear that Eber there in Numbers chapter 24, verse 24, Eber is the Hebrews. But after they afflict the Assyrians, the Babylonians, everybody of the east, they also shall come to destruction, which is also prophesied by Daniel in Daniel chapter 2, as you have the rock, the mountain that is cut out without hands and comes and destroys the kingdoms of the earth. This is a prophecy of the arrival of King Jesus and his victory over all of the nations, which picks up on the motif of the Jewish Messiah King of verses 17, 18, and 19. All the way back here in Numbers chapter 24. Right? So, an incredible prophecy of the reign and victory of the Jewish Messiah King over all of the nations, all of the empires of the world. Here, from the mouths, or from the mouth of the pagan prophet Balaam. And after Balaam receives and uh, gives this oracle of weal on behalf of the nation Israel, verse 25, Balaam arose and departed to his place, and Balak also went his way. So, all of these things, fortifying what we already know to be true, that God has called Abram and his descendants to be a special, sanctified nation, 
among all the nations of the earth and his blessing will be upon them and then we see that threefold blessing from the lips of the pagan prophet Balaam and then we see this incredible prophecy of Balaam which builds on the prophecy we already had in Genesis chapter 49 and then looks forward to the victory of the Jewish Messiah King over all of the empires of the earth again from the lips of the pagan prophet Balaam and of course we we are recipients of these great promises of God as members of the new covenant and slaves of King Jesus and so uh, I hope you're encouraged by that and I hope that uh, you see here these uh, blessings and prophecies from numbers chapter 23 and 24 in a new light this evening so that's all for tonight.